Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined, as always, by my partner in crime, my trusty sidekick. Really, the best way to describe this person is my everything. It's at Eric Delala. Thanks for the kind introduction, Phil. And, you know, it's become quite clear that no matter what podcast supervisor Ben Swanson says, he can't tear us apart. Nothing can stop us now. You know, the reviews from, all last the way week, up. from last week, the people were like, why didn't you introduce him this way? And guess what? We're back. Yeah. In the words of Akib Tlaib, I'm back, baby. Yes. Yes. And we got a great show in store for everyone today. Uh, Eric, guess who is our guest this week? Um, I'm guessing it's probably not Ben Swanson. It's not Ben Swanson. It is NFL analyst for ESPN, Mina Kimes. Ooh, that's a very, good get. It is. A very funny uh, follow on Twitter. Asked her about all things Broncos. Of course, uh, she is now on NFL Live. They relaunched that program on ESPN, and uh, you can catch her on ESPN Daily. So uh, we dived into a bunch of things, and then we also did some funny rapid-fire type of stuff that uh, you'll definitely want to stick around for. But, Eric, uh, we got a lot of news to talk about here. Roster cut-down day is coming up on Saturday, so we got to talk about uh, some names to keep an eye on for as we get closer to uh, the 53-man roster. And then also, uh, hey, before you know it, it's going to be a regular season game prep week. So uh, we'll uh, say, hey, is this Broncos team, is, are they ready to go? It's interesting because normally at this point, Eric, we would have seen some preseason games and we would have had a better idea of what to expect. But, you know, fans at home, you know, who have just been watching, you know, highlights and stuff like that, they really have no idea what to expect. So maybe we can uh, clue them in a little bit. You know, it is uh... – and by this point, normally, Phil, we are ready to go. You know, we're like, let's see some regular season football. This uh, this time, I'm kind of like, if they want to practice for a few more weeks, that's okay. No, 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 no. I'm ready for football, Eric. I want to let's let's line it up and let's get after it here a little bit. You know, that's what I'm ready to see. Uh, you know, no more. Uh, hey, uh, how's this guy looking? How's this guy looking? What's going on with this guy? I'm ready to play some football and talk about some some actual, you know, game stuff. That's fair. I like that. So uh, we got a great show in store for you, uh, Eric. Let's just go ahead and dive in and discuss uh, some names, some position groups. What are we focused on come Saturday when uh, that that wire comes out and we know who made this Broncos team? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because normally we kind of see these cuts start to be made on Friday. And I suspect because the Broncos are having their stadium practice, kind of a run through of sorts on Friday night, you know, maybe a couple guys get cut before that so that they don't get hurt. But it wouldn't surprise me if kind of all these cuts and there won't be too many, 27, I believe, those will all be made on Saturday. Fill the number one position I'm looking at is tight end. Just for years, we've heard about Jake Butt's potential. He's shown it at times during this training camp. 
Uh, he stayed healthy so far, knock on wood. But is he going to make this team? Is there room for him to make this team? Because Noah Fant, Nick Vanette, Albert Okuwewunam are all going to make this team. And so is there room for Jake Butt if you also keep Andrew Beck? And in addition to that, you know, is Butt a better option than Troy Fumagalli, who right now is dealing with a bit of an abdomen issue? But, uh, you know, I don't really have any sense of what they're going to do at that position. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, uh, I think that if you just watch practice, those two look very comparable. I mean, uh, they're they're a very similar type of player. Um, the interesting thing that I like to pay attention to is the nuance when you we hear from Vic Fangio, and he's like said some stuff about Troy Fumagalli, like, yeah, we should expect him back next week, or like, uh, hey, he should be fine, and I'm like. Okay, well, next week is after a roster cutdown. So does that mean that you think he's going to make the team or what? Now, I don't think he would tip his hand like that or anything. So I don't think he meant by anything by that. But, you know, as an R, Eric, I'm always looking into that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that the three players you mentioned there are definitely locks. Andrew Beck, while I haven't seen anything in training camp that suggests that he's going to, you know, explode and become uh, – you know, this amazing tight end, but I do know that the Broncos are really high on him. They like how he came on at the end of last year. We saw him have a lot of good chemistry with Drew Locke. So I would tend to think that Andrew Beck is going to make this team. And then you're already talking about four tight ends there, you know, and this offense doesn't have a fullback in it. So I I don't know if there's a room for, if it's going to be a situation where it's like either Butt or Fumagalli, or even none of them, neither of them, you know, I'm not sure what uh, the plans are there, but tight end, tight end is one position. And I would say wide receivers, the other big position there. Yeah. And these don't exist in a vacuum, right? If you keep an extra tight end, maybe you have to keep eight offensive linemen instead of nine, or if you keep seven wide receivers, which uh, kind of intrigues me, I'm not sure if they'll do that or not, but maybe you have to get rid of an inside linebacker. You know, it's, it's all interconnected and it's about, moving these pieces around and figuring out the best combination. But, you know, at wide receiver, Phil, I would be uh, shocked if Dejon Hamilton and Tim Patrick don't make the team. Uh, you know, coming into this camp, we said that they were very much in danger of losing their roster spots. But based on, one, how they performed, and just, two, how much they've been featured in the offense, I would be very surprised if they're not on this 53-man roster and so then it becomes, you know, d- does Deontay Spencer get a spot just to be the return specialist? And I, th- I think he probably will. And then your final question is, do you like what Tyree Cleveland has done enough to sacrifice a spot, whether it's at the offensive line or inside linebacker or cornerback position to keep a seventh wide receiver on your active roster? And so with KJ Hamler hurt, I-, I think that might be kind of necessary to keep an extra guy because when you talk about these seven wide receivers, Deontay Spencer isn't necessarily a guy that you would trust to go be a starting wideout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that people don't put enough emphasis on that returner role until it shows up in the game when there's a mistake that's made. And then you're saying, oh, why didn't we you know, keep Deontay Spencer? So based off of what, I, what I've seen, I think that 
it would make sense. You know, Tom McMahon indicated that when he met the media that Deontay Spencer is the returner. And uh, yeah, I mean, the spots that I count so far is are Corlin Sutton, Jerry Judy, Deshaun Ham- Hamilton, KJ Hamler, then that fifth wide receiver spot, which most teams keep five wide receivers, but or six. I would I would say that is a toss-up between Tim Patrick and Tyree Cleveland. I think that Tim Patrick probably has that spot. And I do think the Broncos like Tyree Cleveland, though, because he's done nothing but show up and work and, you know, uh, do everything that he can to improve and, uh, every day and learn this offense. But maybe they think that he's a kind of guy that they could slide through waivers and be able to bring back on a practice squad. Because I think you want different skill sets. And Tyree Cleveland at this point does a lot of the same things that Tim Patrick does. Big wide receiver, you know, uh, a guy who can just be a plug and play guy, but maybe Cleveland isn't quite to the point that Patrick is. Yeah. I mean, here's what I'll say about that is that if they are similar players, that's good for the Broncos because last year this team struggled pretty badly on special teams in part because they were unable to tackle returners. And if you have two guys like Tim Patrick and Tyree Cleveland that can run down the field and tackle a punt returner or a kick returner, and you can make your special teams, say you're 10 yards better per game on a punt return unit or a kick return unit. I mean, that could make the difference between three to seven points there, depending on how the game shakes out. And so I don't think you're at the point from a special team side where you feel just you know, like like you can just pick and choose and anybody's going to work there. I think they need more playmakers on the special teams units. And so maybe that leads to them saying, you know, keeping seven wide receivers will hurt us elsewhere. But Tyree Cleveland is a game changer on special teams. And so and maybe he's a better option than an inside linebacker that would play special teams. And so maybe that's where he gets an edge. So those are the two positions on offense. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I would say cornerback is that position where we've heard a lot of different names that are all about the same skill level, not one player really standing out, especially for that third cornerback position, but then also fighting to keep a spot on this roster. Uh, We know that A.J. Boyer and Bryce Callahan are one and two there. But after that, it's really wide open. Eric, even on Wednesday, we heard Vic Fangio talking about the same Bassey. Yeah, and he took uh, first team reps there in that slot corner role in the nickel defense. And he wasn't a guy that was necessarily on my radar as much, Phil, because I figured you'd have Callahan and Boye in Ojemudia, not not necessarily because of what he's done during camp, but just because of where they took him in the draft. And then I figured Devontae Harris, Isaac Yadam, and uh, Devontae Bosby would, would all make the team, and those would be your six cornerbacks. But if Bassey is going to make the team, and keep in mind that an undrafted player has made it 15 in the last 16 years, and I would say Bassey has the leg up there in terms of any of those guys, then now maybe you can't afford to keep a Yadam or a Harris or a Bosby. And, you know, I to me, Bosby stands out among those three guys as the number three cornerback, but you're going to have to get rid of a decent option here, a decent reserve option. And so maybe you look to a team and say, Hey, K 
can you send us a fifth or a sixth round or conditional seventh round pick to get ahead of some of these teams in the waiver order? Um, but if, yeah, if Bassey makes this team somebody who played a role last year because Harris, Bosby, and Yadam all started games, one of those guys is probably going to be gone. And we've not got any sort of indicator from the coaching staff as to who they're leaning to at that position. They, he, not one of those players has like really made that big of a leap to like earn that spot outright. We know we heard Fangio say, Hey, I wish it was so clear that the media could even figure it out. Eric, you and I are probably the top media members in terms of football minds. That's just a personal opinion is what I would just say. And that hasn't been clear to us. You know, even when Bassey was out there on Wednesday, Fangio was asked how he did. And he said, quote, pretty damn well. So, uh, you know, he hasn't like really indicated as to where they're leaning there. So those, those are really the three position groups that I'm like, I want to see who makes this team. I want to see if that, like you've mentioned here, Eric, if that's affected any other positions, maybe they decide to go thin somewhere else just because they want to keep as much talent within the, the 53 as they can. Now, of course, this year, if a, t- if a player clears waivers, re-signed to the practice squad, we're talking about a larger practice squad, and four of those players can be protected. So, you know, it, it also could depend on maybe they're high on a guy, but they think he can clear waivers. You go ahead and release him and then just pray. Yeah. Well, and another thing to keep in mind is that, say you – keep Cleveland and Patrick and you decide to keep five tight ends, including Beck and a Fumagalli or a butt, that means you probably have to go eight offensive linemen. And this year, even though you have the 53 man uh, active roster, your game day roster can increase from 46 players to, I believe 48, but one of those has to be an offensive lineman. And so there's almost an incentive here for teams to carry that ninth offensive lineman that they normally wouldn't um, in order to take advantage of that extra roster spot, which I think you're going to want to do, you know, you're not just going to say, well, we're good with 46 unless you're late in the season and people are hurt and you have no other option. But the other thing, Phil, is you can elevate now people from the practice squad to the active roster on game day, and then they can go back to the, practice squad without having to clear waivers again. Um, and I think, I think players can do that twice before they have to stay on the active roster. So say a guy like a, a Jake Rogers who started a game last year, I would think he's probably squarely on this roster bubble. If he doesn't make it and he ends up on your practice squad, it doesn't mean that you couldn't bring him up a couple of times. If, you know, say one of your tackles is dealing with a, a nagging injury and, and you want to just make sure you've got somebody else there. So that's something to keep in mind too, is the the 16 man practice squad is going to be very important because of COVID and you don't know who could get sick and have to miss a game because of the, this increase of soft tissue injuries that we've seen, especially in our training camp. So I'll be keeping an eye on that Phil, just as much as the 53 man roster. All kinds of little uh, finite rules this year to keep a track of. You can do this. You can do that. A lot of little changes, but those things don't add like up. That. I don't like that. I don't like. You that. just let's just play football. Let's play some football. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, 
but I will say those little rules could impact some roster decisions, just knowing that maybe there's some uh, strategy here on how to uh, construct the eventual active roster. So, um, well, and, and last year at this time, Phil, just to point out that all of this could be absolutely meaningless, nobody would have guessed that Duke Dawson, Deontay Spencer, Devontae Harris, um, there's another guy they picked up off waivers as well that didn't, I think, end up playing in a game, but I think they claimed four guys and then treated for Duke Dawson. Who? Duke Dawson. Duke Dawson? Yeah. Uh, friend of the pod, so obviously hoping for the best for him. But, I mean, there's a possibility that if you say, hey, we don't, we don't like the safety depth behind Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons enough, maybe you go and claim a guy or – hey, we're worried about outside linebacker with Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller uh, or behind them. Maybe some, Maybe you go and you claim a guy there or, you know, any number of these positions, there's always the chance that they're going to scour this waiver wire and grab somebody and all of a sudden, you know, X players on the roster for less than 24 hours before they're cut again. Yeah, there's always uh, the first cut and then you got to make it through that second wave there uh, on the next day. I'll never I forget relax. when uh, Monte Ball made this team and we were all like, oh, wow, he made the team. And then literally the next day he got cut. So just like what you described there. So uh, definitely uh, a uh, nervous and anxious time here at UCL Training Center as uh, some players feeling that pressure, uh, hoping for uh, good news, Saturday at two o'clock mountain time. And uh, we'll of course have everything covered there on Saturday. So Eric, anything else you'd like to discuss at the, on the topic or should we move on as Ben Swanson would love to hear? Yeah. Maybe just end the podcast, I guess. <laughs> well, as promised, let's get to my interview with Mina Kimes, NFL analyst for ESPN and part of the new relaunch of NFL Live on ESPN. You can find her daily there. Uh, we started out by talking about some expectations for the Broncos this year being in the AFC West. I think um, the AFC West is a really interesting division because I think it's a clear favorite. In the, I, I think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, so I'll put that out there first. But I actually think beyond that, all three of the other teams are wildcard contenders, especially, especially with the expanded playoffs. And I look at this Broncos team and I can absolutely see a scenario in which they get in. Um, I think, you know, the coaching staff is superlative. I will always place faith in a Vic Fangio defense, but I think they've got a lot of talent coming back from injury and also with some of the additions they made on that side of the football and a young quarterback in Drew Locke, who they have surrounded with web. I think he, at this point might be in one of the best situations of any young quarterback, young quarterback in the league. Um, they really are giving him all the tools he needs to succeed. So if he can play to the level we saw a glimpse of last year, admittedly against some uh, lackluster defenses, then I think this team has a real shot. Uh, I know that you tweeted a while back that you went back and looked at those five games he started last year. Uh, what did you see on the tape from him? Well, the first one I watched was the Texans game, which I, I got to say, I don't think I learned a lot about Drew Locke. I learned a lot about the Texans defense in that game. Um, I also actually, I will say, though, I was very impressed by Noah Fant, who 
uh, was a bit underwhelming at the beginning of the season or when he started playing, which is not uncommon with rookie tight ends. It's a difficult position to pick up. That's why we see a, a big leap often in year two. Um, and I was really blown away by what I saw from him down the stretch. And I think it's really exciting for Denver. Um, but, you know, in the Lions game, I think I learned a little bit more. Um, with Locke, you know, we know how great his arm is. Knew that coming out of college. His athleticism is was, I think, underrated in the draft as a topic of discussion. You saw that on display a little bit. But I also saw some pretty, um, I would say, better decision-making that I, I might have anticipated, which was sort of the ding on him coming out of the draft. Um, you know, he wasn't asked to go past his first read very often, go through his progressions, and certainly wasn't asked to throw downfield a lot. But you saw a level of general competence, I think, that you really want to see from a quarterback that young combined with a physical tool set that we know is impressive and so as a Denver fan I would be encouraged by what we saw. Yeah it seems like uh, they're building around him uh, added a lot of offensive weapons uh, this offseason. Speaking of your Twitter account you said that you're uh, a hater of the goal line fade but what if you got a guy like Cortland Sutton? I don't care who you have man I I really don't and I love Cortland Sutton. He is a true like to have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy in the same offense is insane. I just think in terms of complementary skill sets and you throw in Hamler as well and Fant, um, he's a true number one. You got that big body outside threat that you do associate with the goal line fade. The problem is even when you have that guy, it's still not an efficient play. Okay. Like throw it to Cortland Sutton, just do something different. How about a simple out route, you know, a whip or I don't know, use him, but not on that play. Got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, speaking of Jerry Judy, what do you think his chances are of winning Offensive Rookie of the Year? I think they're solid. Unfortunately, I think you know he's got a little bit of target competition uh, with that aforementioned stacked skill group, uh, and sometimes it's not about who's the actual best player so much as it is a matter of opportunity. Um, you know, this is a very good receiver class, and yeah, I think. The competition he has, CeeDee Lamb in Dallas is also <laughs> phenomenal. Rugs in Vegas, still getting used to saying Vegas, um, are also in pretty good situation, situations. Um, I would say Judy was my favorite. I'll, I'll, I'll start there, coming out of the class. And for him to fall into Elway's lap there, I think was a huge coup for Denver. Um, but that award can be hard to predict because it's so contingent on just how things unfold over the course of the season. Yeah, a lot of competition. Uh, I know that the hype machine is going uh, full and well here in Denver around Jerry Judy. So Uh, on the other side of the ball, Von Miller is heading into his 10th season. I know uh, ESPN.com just put out a list of the top 100 players in the NFL. I think he came in at 46. Uh, What do you think he can do this season? I'm guessing that's lower than he's coming in a long time. I think he was top 10 last year having the list in front of me. And, you know, it it was a down year for Vaughn, undeniably. Um, But his body of work speaks for itself. And also he plays a position where I don't think um, the aging curve necessarily hits players the same way, especially what he's asked to do in that Denver offense where he often gets to play so far out wide and kind of, you know, pin his ears back and go. Um, I, I would not bet against a bounce back season, especially when he has the benefit of having Chubb actually lined up across from him and you know, he's not getting double teamed. Um, man, I love Von Miller. That was one of my 
my, I did a feature on him for ESPN, the magazine, the summer after he all won the Super Bowl when he signed his extension, we went fishing. Um, I don't think he caught any fish, but I was so blown away by his just positive demeanor, his, uh, attention to craft, you know, the past rush can everyone knows about. And, um, he just has all the attributes I think you see in hall of fame players. So if I was a big guy to bounce back, I would definitely ride with Vaughn. Yeah, he's he's definitely got the personality uh, of fun guy, and yeah, hoping for him to bounce back this year. Uh, just a couple more for you here, Mina. I know that you're really into watercolors. Uh, what Broncos player or coach would be would make for the most interesting painting? Ooh, thinking through all the the different Broncos. I mean, Vaughn's always great with the glasses. Locke doing the dancing on the sideline. Who could forget that iconic moment? Kind of hard to capture in a watercolor, maybe. Um, I'll go for Lindsay. He's got a a great head of hair on him, and that would be fun to paint. Very underrated player, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, We love his hair here. Uh, Definitely a sense of pizzazz uh, with Philip Lindsay. Okay, are you up for some uh, lighthearted, rapid-fire questions here? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. First one is... uh, Will the Broncos win both games against the Chiefs this season or also beat them a third time in the playoffs? Uh, unfortunately, I do not think the Broncos are going to beat the, beat the Chiefs, but uh, I, sorry. I, but it's because I think the Chiefs are so good. It's not a referendum on the Broncos. Yeah, the Chiefs uh, some stiff competition. We saw they got their rings the other night. Um, okay, is Drew Locke a great quarterback or the greatest quarterback just too young to prove it. Um, I'm gonna go with too young to prove it and leave the other stuff out. I think he's promising. Can I say that? Promising, Denver fans. Okay. You know, slower roll. You got a much harder slate of pass defenses this year facing. Yeah. A tough schedule uh, for the Broncos this season. Okay, just a couple more here. Uh, were you surprised that Jerry Judy wasn't the first overall pick in the draft? I was, yeah, when, when Ruggs went over him, but that, that was not um, my board. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I thought actually Denver, I thought they would take Ruggs, quite frankly, um, just the way I anticipated things shaking out. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys, you've gotten to see Judy firsthand now. The route running, everyone knows, is unbelievable. But I think he's not just a polished route runner. He is uh, so smart the way I mean I, I he's such a fun player to watch he can do it all he's got the speed the contested catch ability he's got this great feel for zones um truly a special player we've heard the Broncos defenders compare him to like Amari Cooper so that's a good comp for, yeah. from a route running perspective yeah a good company there okay the last one is a lot of people compare Patrick Mahomes to John Elway what's wrong with them <laughs> the comparison. <laughs> oh man, you're setting me up because I want to. I want to pander to Broncos fans, but you're setting me up to do the opposite. Uh, they are both very good quarterbacks. I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh, we heard John very complimentary of uh, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, you know, with that new deal, I think the Broncos are going to have to deal with him for a long time. So sadly, but you know what? In a few years, they're going to have a hard time paying other players. So you have to take some coverage. Or maybe not, you know, after this offseason. I don't know. Yeah, who the heck knows how things shake out. 
Mina, uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck this season, the rest of the way. Good luck to y'all. Thanks to Mina Kimes for spending some time there to chat about the Broncos. Had a little bit of fun there with rapid fire at the end. Kind of put her in a tough spot, Eric, because uh, we were uh, sort of having a laugh at the Chiefs because of how good they are. So uh, putting, uh, putting her in a little bit of a tough position. But that's what an interviewer does. I think the Chiefs, you know, they're probably okay with it, given that this weekend they're – looking at their Super Bowl rings that they just got. So what did you think about those rings, Eric? Um, you know, if you're listening, anybody from like Arrowhead Pride, I think that's their SB Nation site, right? Yes. Uh, I believe they're not big fans of yours. Yeah, probably not. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the ring. I, you know. Oh, hot take. You know, I, I think there are some that are tastefully done. Uh and I don't know if it's just the red that I've been conditioned to not like the color red. And so like, it just hurts my eyes, but yeah. like the Broncos, Phil, you did a nice little tweet about the Broncos ring. Uh, you can find that at Phil Milani. That one was tasteful. I thought, you know, it featured the three Lombardis, which I know you don't, you have a take on that. We'll get to, but um, I just didn't think the chiefs was anything spectacular. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I'm just conditioned to see that that Arrowhead logo, and I'm just sort of like repulsed. But uh, no, obviously, uh, very happy uh, that they were able to get their rings. And there's some former Broncos interns uh, on the staff that now work for the Chiefs, and we're very happy for them. But uh, yeah, I agree, Eric. I think that I always find it it's a little bit interesting when. Like uh, they have a ring that has two Lombardis on it, but you know, that other Lombardi was one like 50 years ago. Yeah. So I don't know. Like when you were in your, you were probably just in your early twenties at that point. Yeah. About 50 years ago. I'll never forget. No, you know, I think what it might be is that on the Super Bowl 50 ring, you have that nice gold plated 50 and then you have a little bit of orange but mostly it's diamonds. And you look at like the Seahawks Super Bowl ring, it's mostly diamonds. And then I think there's one emerald. And you look at the New England Patriots ring and one, they have six Lombardies on there. So that makes it look nice, but it's a lot of diamonds. The Chiefs has a lot going on. There's too much, I don't know if they're rubies or what they are. Oh, I see. But it, yeah, it looks, um, it, it's, it's not as smooth, you know? Uh. Well, I mean, uh, they probably diamonds. they probably just shouldn't they probably just shouldn't win another one. That's kind of what my take would be. Got it, got it. I agree. You can't go wrong with diamonds. So, uh, anyway, uh, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Mina Kimes. Uh, you can find the video version of that up on DenverBroncos.com pretty soon. So, if you want to check that out. Um, of course, Mina Kimes is a very big Seahawks fan, so uh, had a little bit huh? of fun in that. So make sure you check that out. Also on the Broncos' official YouTube page. Yeah. Uh, okay, oh. Eric, let's move on here. The Broncos' uh, season opener, a little more, what, about 12 days out now? Uh, we haven't seen that many live periods of practice. Vic Fangio said that they don't want to do too many 
live tackling drills because, hey, if you even have a full period of tackling drills, that kind of boils down to just maybe two tackles per player. Not really worth it, in his opinion. But at the same time, he did seem a little bit concerned because you want to develop these calluses. You want to be football tough. And it's a little bit different, you know, uh, wrapping up a guy in practice versus coming in full speed and blasting a guy to the ground. The fact that they have veterans like Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Jarrell Casey, Vaughn Miller. I mean, those guys have played a lot of snaps. They know how to tackle. I'm not necessarily concerned about that aspect of it. And Phil, in terms of the, you know, are they ready for the season in general? I think if they rely on their run game, they let Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon kind of take control of the game. Drew Locke plays. You know, I, I know everyone likes this conserve or this uh, gunslinger mentality that he has, but I'd really like to see him be conservative in this opener, not take too many chances, you know, make throws to Jerry Judy and Sutton, Cortland Sutton when you need to, but rely on the run game. Let your strong defense do what it is supposed to do and what you expect it to do. And then kind of see what happens in what should be a close game. And, you know, if that's the case, I trust where they're at to be able to score. I think this offense could get to 20 points. You know, I don't expect them to get to 30 in week one, but I think they could get to 20. And then I I really do think this defense is good enough to hold a lot of teams under 20. Yeah, I mean, just talking about this week one, the season opener, it's going to be a close game. I mean, that's just the way the Titans play football. I mean, we'll get into the matchup a little bit more next week. But, uh, you know, they run the ball and play defense. And that defense really gave the Chiefs a handful, a headache in that AFC championship game. So I would expect it to be a pretty low scoring game and, you know, maybe a possession game in the fourth quarter. It comes down to maybe some some of the finer points. So I would say, though, as a Broncos fan at home, all you're watching are our Broncos Camp Daily recaps. You live on that stuff. And uh, you really just don't have a great idea. Like you think you know what's happening, but you haven't seen it in a preseason game. You haven't seen that third preseason game where the offense in the first unit play for three quarters. So you're really not sure what to expect. So there's a little bit of anxiousness, a little bit of excitement. And, uh, you know, some of the reports that have been coming out about practice recently have indicated that maybe the offense – quite isn't as far along as Vic Fangio had hoped for. He said that there's been, you know, some uh, delay a game type of thing. You know, the unscripted periods haven't gone as planned. And, you know, we heard about some interceptions here and there. So you're worried about the offense. But I, I agree with you. I think that if you script the first 15 plays, I'm not sure if Pat Shermer plans on doing that. But if you can get into a place where you're really comfortable I think that lock is going to have some success. Everything we saw in those five games at the end of last year suggests that he's going to have a lot of confidence and that the moment isn't too big for him. It doesn't matter that it's Monday night football or the season opener or all these expectations. I, I'm not too worried about it just because I think that in that moment, 
the Broncos have way too many playmakers on that side of the ball now to just become like a dormant offense that really struggles. And maybe that means more running the football. Maybe that means more conservative play calling. Sure. But I also think that you got these guys for a reason. You got Jerry Judy for a reason. You got Corlin Sutton. You have Noah Fant. You got KJ Hamler. And hopefully Hamler's ready to go for that. You got to let this thing fly and you got to commit to it and let it, let's get going here. You know, uh, I do think that you can play a smart game. I do think that you have to let the game come to you. You don't want to force anything, but this Titans defense is really good. So if you're not willing to take shots and try and stretch the field, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I would just, I look at last year's Raiders game in the season opener, or I look at, um, you know, maybe the, the Packers game or something like that, an early season game where the Broncos or offense was not super sharp early in the game. And then as the game went along, you make some plays in the second quarter and the third and fourth quarter, you're right there. Uh, and then you hope you, you can hang on and what let them down in Oakland really, even though the offense wasn't good as the defense gave up two long drives to begin that game. And really you were just in a hole from the beginning. And I think you hope this year that your defense is in a better place where that won't happen. Um, and it gives Drew Locke and the offense a little bit of wiggle room so they don't feel like they have to be perfect and string together a 12-play drive. It, this team is going to have to be able to survive, especially early in the season, games where there's a three and out or several three and outs because, you know, whether it's not being able to get the play in in time or you run the wrong route or there's a some sort of mistake in the in the run game, you're going to have negative plays early on. And so can your defense help you survive those, I think, will be the big question. But, Phil, you're right. One of the things about Drew is that, especially early in some of these games, he's played really well. Against the Chargers, he threw two touchdowns in the first quarter. In that Houston game, he played really well. Um, I think, you know, Detroit and Oakland took a little bit longer, but he was able to find success. And so, yeah, maybe against the Titans, they'll – that secondary is probably the question of the group of that defense. Maybe, maybe the, t the Titans say, Hey, we dare you to throw the ball. Cause we're going to make sure that Melvin and Philip Lindsay don't beat us. And uh, they go out and do that. And we've talked about this before. The Broncos now have enough weapons where they can challenge a defense multiple ways. So if they want to take away one thing, they have enough weapons to make a defense pay in a different area. So, uh, Eric, one thing that I'm fairly confident of saying is that the Broncos will not start the season with an end around to Fant. <laughs> Pretty, I think that that's I think that's a fair uh, that's a safe fair bet. guess. Yeah, that's a safe bet. But I'll say a lot of people think that this Broncos offense is constructed with the Chiefs in mind. You know, let's get some speed, let's play some open football, let's stretch the field. Well, one thing that the Chiefs do is they play Chiefs offense. And we saw that in the Super Bowl. We saw that against the Titans where, hey, if something isn't working for a while, just stick with it. And eventually you're going to hit a huge shot down the field. Maybe Drill Lock scrambles for something and gets, you know, like a huge first down, a touchdown on a scramble. And then all of a sudden you're off and running and you've got the momentum because that is what the Chiefs do. And, you know, if, if the Broncos are constructed like the Chiefs are, then that's 
you got to think that they're going to play pretty aggressively on offense. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because you can draft like the Chiefs draft and you can sign free agents like the Chiefs do. If you don't call games the same way, it doesn't matter. You know, if you have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Noah Fant and you call run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, run, pass, you're not going to be the same type of offense they are. So hopefully the Broncos are committed to uh, taking some chances and, you know, we'll get into all the individual matchups, but I think every week one game around the league every year, and this one in particular, because there's no tape on what Shermer is going to do with these guys. Uh, you know, the Broncos have added guys like Jarrell Casey, AJ Boye. I think it's going to be about who takes advantage of these, like these big plays that come off these unscripted moments, you know, could three or four big plays change the game and, the Broncos handled Derrick Henry really well last year. And if they can do that and it comes down to Drew Locke and the Broncos passing weapons versus Brian Tannehill and what the Titans have, you know, I think the Broncos have a good chance there. How much do you think Jarrell Casey wants to win this game? Probably a lot. You think, uh, you think Pat Shermer is like, Hey, Jarrell, like, why don't you stop by my office? Uh, I got some questions for you. It's possible. You think he wants to uh, maybe a touchdown pass to Ooh. to Jarrell Casey? Like a Don Terry Poe type of situation from a couple of years ago? Exactly. Yeah, that one hurt. That's how you make uh, rivalries. That's, yeah. like, that's like a little uh, dagger in the side. The Broncos um, still haven't won, though, since that time. Sorry, you're, uh, the Zoom cut out for a second there. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, Phil, this – I was thinking about this driving into work this morning is coaches – That's when you have your best thoughts. Exactly. Coaches, they're – they tell themselves they're going to win every single game, right? But in reality, if this Broncos team can just win one more than every other game and go 9-7 and seven instead of 8-8, eight and eight, they're probably going to make the playoffs or be right there. And so – you know, winning each win is going to be massive because you don't have to get to 12 and four or 13 and three to accomplish your goals for the season. And, and for Broncos fans that want to win the Super Bowl this year, I get that. I respect that. And, and maybe something will happen that allows them to go on a run. Uh, maybe Judy is just otherworldly out there. And maybe this defense is the top one in the league and Drew is impressive. And, and then we'll talk about all that later, but you know, if you get a, a win over Tennessee, it's massive to what it does for your season chances, especially after starting 0-4 last year. But, Phil, let's not pretend that if you go out and things look rough against Tennessee, that the season is over because this team can win every other game and be right there. And even with as badly as things went last year, Phil, 0-4, 2-6, I believe, at one point, they still finished 7-9 and and won – I believe seven of their final, uh, they went seven and five on the stretch, obviously four and one with Drew. And so there's reason here that I'm not going to be too worried about the overall state of this team if they start the first month of the season one and three or two and two. Now, if you're 0 and four, I'll be worried. I, 
So I have a couple of thoughts about that. I think one of the reasons why this team was so energized at the end of last season, where typically a team that's out of it and not playing well can lose interest. I think one of the reasons why they played so well was because Drew was inserted into a lineup and there was so much momentum based off of that. You know, there was, he brought so much energy and excitement and people realized quickly like, Hey, this, this guy could be our future here. And like, let's start building that now. I will say, I think that last year's start looms large and is on the back of everyone's mind. So I think that starting this season off strong, I think it is important. And one of the things that we all learned at the end, at the start of last year was just how, you know, how close the narrow and how narrow the margin is between defeat and victory sometimes in the NFL. And like, you know, cleaning up the little things and getting, you know, you know, uh, maybe an extra first down here and it leads to a field goal or getting a stop here or just, just little things over the course of 60 minutes add up. And I think that the Broncos in a way learned that last year and hopefully that uh, carries over in, into this season. Phil, if they were to start two and two, would you be happy with that? Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Especially considering the teams that they are starting the season against. I mean, Tennessee obviously played in the AFC championship game. Uh, Pittsburgh is supposed to be one of the better teams in a very stacked AFC North. You know, every game is going to be important for them to make the playoffs and big Ben is back. Then you got Tom Brady coming in. I mean, it's just the beginning of the season is very difficult. So, you know, if they can get out of that where they're still right in the middle of things and two and two, I would take that right now. I think. Yeah, and you know, I think that kind of two and two, three and three, that five hundred football that could continue for a while because I think, you know, then you get to a point where it's Patriots and Dolphins. Do you split those? Chiefs and Falcons. Are you able to split those? Raiders and Chargers, and then Saints and Chiefs. Can you get two out of those four? And exactly. then really, it's not it's not till the end of the season where you play the Panthers, Bills, Chargers, and Raiders, where you think maybe we could string a few together and. Again, maybe this team comes out and it's just light years better. But if they take an incremental step from last year, which is kind of what I expect right off the bat, I think we're going to be in this period all season where we're like, man, this week is a really big one because it's going to get you back to 500 or it's going to put you a game above 500. And uh, you really need that to stay in the playoff chase. And what I hope doesn't happen, Phil, is that if, and this is specific to Drew, if Drew goes out and throws a couple of interceptions in week one and they lose, that this fan base doesn't automatically say Drew's not the answer because he only played five games last year. He's and listen, he went four and one. And I know that's the amazing stat that everybody loves, but if it's not for a Shelby Harris bat down, if it's not for a pass interference call uh, on Casey Hayward against Cortland Sutton, and if it's not for a, you know, a come a fourth quarter comeback against the Lions. It could have been one and four. Or just just being honest there, and then a lack of an in person off season with Pat Shermer. I mean, in, in some ways he's a rookie again. And so if he's not great early on, that doesn't mean he can't still be the long term answer. And I think he's shown enough in the limited amount we've seen in training camp of flashes of greatness and, and flashes last year that. 
you can still believe that even if things aren't perfect early on, he can grow into being that guy. And one of the things when you have a young quarterback is that you have to just go through some bumps, you know, yeah. wait, it's not going to be Peyton Manning out there hitting, you know, throwing seven touchdowns in the season open. I mean, that would be amazing, but I, I would not expect that. So, um, I, I, I think that you just gotta go with the bumps and know that this guy possesses the potential to be that guy and you got to let him learn and grow because you never get to that Peyton Manning level unless you have some bumps along the way and, and some learning experiences. So, and the final point I'll make Eric here is we're, you know, uh, less than two weeks away from the start of the season is that every year in the NFL, there's always a team that you think is going to be really good and they aren't that good. And then there's always a team that isn't supposed to be that good and is actually really good. So I think that that's, uh, that's my final point there is that you never know what's going to happen until you, until you lace them up and you get out there. And uh, that's what makes this sport exciting. Unlike most sports, uh, other leagues around, I think that uh, you never really know in the NFL. Most teams think that they got a shot to make the playoffs some teams think that they got a shot to win the Super Bowl, but you never really know in the NFL, and that's that's what makes it exciting. So, Eric, I think we've reached that time in the show for some shout-outs, if we're still allowed to do that. Obviously, shout-out Liz Manis, shout-out the community department. So they've been doing some stuff for the kickoff. You know, normally, Eric, there's a kickoff luncheon. Of course, you can't have that this year with the pandemic, so uh, – uh, they've adjusted and they're still uh, getting out there in the community and doing some stuff. So uh, commend uh, the community department for that. And before you know it, we'll uh, find out what uh, the players decided to uh, put on the back of their helmets. I know that uh, they can have some uh, personal causes that they feel passionately about that they're allowed to uh, put that messaging on the back of their helmet. So that's a, another cool thing that the community department's been working on. Yeah, I think uh, some remote community work going on right now is our friend Liz Manis. Not in the Denver area, I've heard. That is uh, that is the reports, but uh, I know that Liz is listening out there, and uh, it is possible during these times to still get the job done in the community, even though well, I would never, I would never, I would never question that. You know, I would never want to question a work ethic. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe also, Phil, I, uh, it pains me to do this just because I do like to see you, uh, you know, sometimes deal with a little bit of adversity. But shout out to the Denver Nuggets, uh, an impressive, impressive series win coming back from 3-1. You know that I'm recording this and that I can save this, right? <laughs> I do know that. A hey, uh you know, that's, uh, I didn't expect that to be able to happen. And it was fun watching probably the first really exciting sports game since sports have come back. You could well, argue. Yeah. There's been some, uh, there's been some good basketball out there, but, uh, there's nothing quite like a game seven, you know? Right. And a lot of people are going to say, Oh, that was a bad game. It was 80 to 78, but you know what? That's how game sevens are. They, they're a drag it out defensive battle. There's a lot of nerves. And, uh, you know, we saw Jokic, uh, 
really put the team on his back and carry them to victory in that game, hit the game-winning shot. Love to see that. But, uh, you know, the battle between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell was really something to uh, watch. And I think that as a basketball fan, you can just appreciate those two competitors going at it. And you saw them embrace at the end of Game 7. And that's what sports is all about, Eric. So You know you know, I like Big Ten basketball in that game seven reminded me of watching my cats versus the Purdue Boilermakers. Maybe uh, like a, it was, I think it was what, 80 to 78. So maybe like a triple overtime big 10 game. I was going to say maybe that you mean like that was like watching two and a half games. Yeah. Yeah. I like the 50 to 48 games myself. Yeah. They don't have sh- the shot clock in big 10 basketball, do they? Uh, no shot clock and no three point arc. Yeah. Yeah. I think and what there's a rule that like all five players have to touch the ball before you're allowed to attempt a shot. Exactly. If you uh, make one shot, you can't score again until like five positions later. Just kind of a competition fairness type thing. Yeah. Well, that's very noble. That's very noble. Yeah. That's why uh, Big Ten basketball is as popular as it is. And people prefer that over to, you know, schools with less basketball history, like a North Carolina or something like that. Got it. Yeah. Did have they ever had somebody like famous go through there? Mm, I don't I think mean, LeBron went to college. Yeah, he did. That's right. He just went straight to the pros. So yeah. nobody else of note. Well, we'll see what happens here as the Nuggets get set to face the Clippers. Uh, at the time of this recording, the Avalanche are getting set to participate in game six against the Dallas Stars. We'll see what happens. By the time this is published, we'll know. So, It is odd to me, Phil, that uh, the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks are currently playing game two of their next series while the uh, Rockets and Thunder have yet to even tip off game seven. It's a little bit strange, but uh, I believe that things will start to even themselves out. It's not likely that... uh, you know, there'll be uh, sweeps on one side and then game sevens on the other side all the way through. So They better not start the finals before the Lakers are ready. Sorry, they're gonna what give, was that? They're going to give Miami a head start. Okay, Ben Swanson is starting to get upset. He said, a lot of people are saying, uh, as uh, we're recording this, the, the feedback is coming in instantaneously. Uh-huh. Saying, this is not a basketball and hockey podcast. So, Got it. So we better wrap this thing up. Uh, if you have a comment or you want to just uh, spew some hatred or something like that, hit us up on Twitter. It's at Eric Dalala with an A, at Phil Milani with a P-H. We're very strange spellings of names here, but uh, uh, that's what we do. You can also uh, dial in and leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the air, 707 Neutral. That's probably the best way I would recommend. Uh, getting in contact with us. So make sure you subscribe and rate this podcast. You can find uh, the neutrals on anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Maybe you're listening to a little Conan, like I like to do. And then uh, you're like, I want some sports news now. Just mosey on over to the neutral zone. You know, that's uh, that's what I do, Eric. Yeah. I know our uh, friend Ben Swanson likes to listen to a botanic garden monthly podcast where they discuss the best flora and fauna uh, that they've seen at some different botanic gardens. Lots of uh, replanting techniques, repotting, yeah. that sort of thing. Best types of soil. Yes. Uh, 
you know, root structures, germination, these type of things. Ben Swanson is uh, all about that. And then he moseys on over and listens to this show. So, yeah. But I don't think that we're supposed to go over one hour. So I better wrap this bad boy up. Otherwise, uh, the league will reprimand us. So don't need that in my life. So uh, let's wrap this up. We'll be back next week with uh, an in-depth game preview of the Broncos and Titans. We'll know who's on the roster and we can break down some matchups and maybe get into some of those games that we were playing last last year, Eric. Games? It's game week, baby. Game it's game week. week. Yeah. Game week on the neutral zone. Game week in the NFL. Yeah. That's what we were saying. You're, yeah. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, for Eric Dalala, I am Phil Milani. You've been listening to the, the Neutral Zone. <laughs> <laughs>